Well, how are we doing, Ridge Church? Man, my name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at the Ridge. Uh, we're so glad that you're here today as we continue this uh, series called Recovering Redemption. And uh, you just saw the story of Wesley Hicks, and uh, Wes's story is uh, quite amazing, and it's, uh, it's not over yet. There's actually a second part to that, and so uh, next week we'll actually uh, show you the second part of Wes's story, and so I encourage you to be here uh, for that. But um, let me just, uh, as we start, let me just ask you a question. How, ma- how many of us are feeling uh, the busyness of life right now? Like, you just life is busy. So that, that would pretty much be everybody, right? Like, like we all, all kind of feel that busyness in life. I, uh, the other day I was looking at, we have a, a calendar on our refrigerator at home uh, that my lovely wife put up there because she knows that if I'm not on schedule, then I won't be at things, right? So uh, she put that up there for me, really. And so uh, on this calendar, though, I was looking at this calendar the other day, and uh, the two of us were looking at it together, and we were like, wow, there is something every single day of the week from now until the end of October. Like, literally, every, every day has something on it. And we were just like, tired, right? You know, just like, just looking at it. I mean, we're just now getting in, into October, and we're like, man, it is just, it is just busy, and so you and I both know this. If you don't know this, I'm, I'm going to uh, break it to you. Not very easy right now. But uh, the biggest lie, one of the biggest lies in life in general, is that eventually life will slow down. Right? If you've been an adult for any length of time, you know that that is not true. That life never really does slow down. In fact, uh, you look at it and you're like, wow, I've got some free space here. No, you don't. If you have children, you have no free space. Like, it just, it's just done. It's taken up, you know, there's something going on. You know, it's full. It's very full. And so the pull that we feel, if we're not careful, is that we will approach life and we will ap- approach this busyness of life. And what we will do is we will, if you're a believer, is you will say, I've got to get Jesus in here somewhere. Where do, where, do I, where, do I fit, where do I fit my relationship with Christ in the, to this equation here somewhere? And so what we end up doing is, is unintentionally sometimes is we just end up attaching Jesus onto the busyness of life. We end up uh, attaching it to things. And, and, and so Jesus and our relationship with Christ and our pursuit of him and, and the things that we do to be in relationship with him just get added onto the busyness of life. It just becomes something else that we have to do. It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to work in. We've got two services at church, so I gotta figure out a way to, if I go to the first service, then I can end up doing this afterwards and I can jet out real quick or, you know, I can add this in here. I can get this onto there. You know, I can, you know, I can do my, my Bible reading time, you know, during my lunch break at work. You know, I can, you know, I can do all of these things. And so we end up just attaching it to the busyness of life. And so what we end up doing unintentionally sometimes is we just approach Jesus as an add-on to everything else. It's just something that we do. We, we check off the list. And you heard Julie Monday talk about that a few moments ago when, uh, before uh, she sang that song. She said, I, I thought that, uh, you know, that I had to do a, a checklist. I had to check things off. and I had, I had to just work my way through this. And so the bottom line is this, is that we are all busy. Every single one of us, we're, we're, we're all busy in some way. But I hope that you know this, especially if you're a believer, is that our relationship with Christ is not meant 
to be an add-on to everything else. It's not meant to be, uh, if I can fit it into life, if it, if it will fit into the busyness of today, then great. You know, that'll be awesome. Then maybe my day will go that much better. But our relationship with Christ was not meant to be just an add-on. And so being a believer, if you are a believer, you've given your life to Christ, you call yourself a Christian, being a believer, navigating that, we, we should see our life and live our, our life differently than just trying to add Jesus on to everything else. And so when this happens, when this happens, when we see our life differently, when we do things differently, when Jesus isn't an add-on to everything else, when, when it becomes what actually drives our life. Do you understand that there's a, a difference there as a believer that, that what drives your life should be the gospel? It's the, it's the very thing that is at the, the core and the center of ourselves as believers is that the gospel actually drives your life. It's not just something that you just add in or add on or, or you take off the shelf when you actually need it. It's not one of those things. It is the thing. And when that becomes the case, when the gospel begins to drive how you and I really live our lives, we find that the gospel is really unbelievable. That it's hard to really believe what the gospel really says about who we are. I mean, ask, ask Wesley about how unbelievable the gospel is from what you saw in the video. He'll tell you it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Not only did God love him, but God loved him at his worst. And not only has God loved you, but he has loved you at your worst. And so we've, we've spent the last several weeks talking about our worst, right? That's what we said over the last several weeks is that, that the good news of the gospel is that the gospel invades bad spaces, doesn't it? And in order for there to be bad spaces, like the, the backdrop is, of the gospel is that we are broken, messed up, jacked up, sinners in need of a savior and the gospel invades that bad space doesn't it and rescues us and brings us into into a relationship with christ and so we need to understand really two terms here today that will actually lead us into a third here in a couple of weeks and so in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about uh this word called sanctification and and uh it's this uh, idea, it's not really the idea, it's the truth that you and I as believers are on this journey to wholeness. You heard Wesley talk about that as well, is that we're not there yet. And we don't get there until Jesus returns or he calls us home. And so it is a process, it is a journey, it is a long, dirt, pot-filled, muddy road that we are on as believers to wholeness. And so we're not there yet, and so we will actually get there and talk about that here in a couple of weeks. But two terms that I want us to understand today are, is this, justification and adoption. Justification and adoption. And so my goal, just like last week, last week we talked about repentance and what repentance is. Uh, when Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, he said, repent and believe the gospel. And so we broke that down and said, all repentance is, it is us turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, and that word believe means that we are all in, and so it's turning from our sin, turning to Jesus, and being all in belief, and so that is repent, 
and believe. And so in that right there, with that understanding, we move on to this understanding of this term called justification and adoption. And so just like last week, I want to be really simple. I want to be really clear. We just want to break this down and, uh, and understand this. And so if you're a believer here today, my hope and prayer for you is that today you will leave here going, wow, the gospel is unbelievable. It's amazing. But if you're not a believer... My goal and prayer for you here today is exactly the same, is that you will also say that the gospel is unbelievable. And it's for you. And so we're just going to uh, jump into this. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the scripture will be on the screen back here behind me. Uh, here, in, uh, You can follow along there, or feel free to grab a Bible out at Ridge Central Table and um, take that as a free gift. I want you to have one of those. I want you to have a Bible. So Romans chapter 8, let me just uh, start in verse 28. It says this. This is Paul writing. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, let's stop. We've got to do a little work right here. When you read this, this is a coffee cup verse. It's a t-shirt verse, right? You see it. You have it hanging on your wall somewhere. You know, we like to quote those things, you know, when something bad happens, we love to go up to people and be like, listen, brother, God works together all things for good. You have my permission to hit them in the throat. Like, when they, when they say that, I mean, just, I mean, if you get them right here, you can really choke them up. It's really good. I'm, not that I know that, uh, you know, I'm just saying, but anyway. So, like, I mean, you, l- listen, w- that, that's one of those things when, when things fall apart in life, we want to use that as a warm blanket don't we? We want to take that and say, God works together all things for good for those who love him, right? Now, here's, here's the beauty of that. What Paul is writing here, he is not necessarily writing about how all things will just be rain, uh, you know, rainbows and unicorns for you in life. If you love Jesus, that's not what this verse means. If you've lived life longer than six months, you know that that's not true, right? And so what is the truth of that? Here's here's what he's saying. He's saying that the very distant past, way before you ever came into being, God has been working and molding and taking and working things together for your good. And then in your past, even then, when you were far from Christ, when you were a long way off, when you were an enemy of Christ, when you were an enemy of the gospel, even then, God was still working things together for your good. What good? Your spiritual good. He was bringing you into relationship with him. And even now into the future, he is still doing those good things. So he continues, he says, for those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, Baptist, take a deep breath, it's okay, we're not, I'm not we're, it's okay, all right, we can talk about that, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified if you uh, highlight underline things underline that word justified and those whom he justified he also 
glorified. Now, don't let that word predestined and foreknowledge give you the creeps. It's okay, all right? It's okay. In fact, uh, we've talked about that here before, and so if you just go to ridgechurch.cc and listen, uh, look in the messages there, you can find some messages on us really breaking that down. And so the term that we want to talk about today is this term called justified, justification. And that word justification is actually a legal term. It's a legal term. And um, we love, as a society, don't we? We love justice and law and crime. We, we, we love those things, don't we? Here, here's why I know that we love all of those things is because there are 500 CSI shows, right? There is one on every day of the week for every city in, in America, right? CSI Miami, CSI New York, CSI Wartburg, it's coming. <laughs> like, it, it's, they're going to make one, I promise. Like, it'll, it, it'll, it'll be there. But, because we love that drama, don't we? We love the courtroom stuff. We love the, the legal stuff. It's why Nancy Grace, by the grace of God, somehow has a TV show. It, because we love that stuff. We eat it up. And so if that's you, you're like, man, I love that stuff. Like, I watch CSI like 24 hours a day. Then you should love this term, justified, because it is a legal term. And so what this means is this means that God has taken the spiritual gavel and he has banged it down and declared us innocent even though we are not. Even though we are not. Remember what Paul wrote in, uh, earlier in Romans. He said, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, right? We, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And so when he says that all have sinned, that means that every single one of us are guilty of falling short of the glory of God, which God says, I demand perfection from you. And so we know that we are sinners and that we cannot get there on our own. And so what happened? Well, that's where this term justification comes in. And so the beauty here is that God gives us an innocence. Listen, this is so crazy to me. This is what I find so unbelievable about the gospel is that the beauty here is that God gives us innocence that is not our own. It's not our own. Flip over to Galatians chapter 2. Just back a little bit. If you want a cool little trick to find Galatians, General Electric Power Company, okay? I'm just saying, figure that one out. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, okay, all right. Didn't know that, did you? All right, here we go. All right, Galatians chapter 2, check this out. This is what he writes in starting verse 15. Listen here. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so the justification that God grants is not based on whether or not we have been obedient to the law. So did you hear what Paul said here? He's saying your justification, your uh, declaration of innocence is not given to you based on anything that you have done or anything that you have not done. It's not given to us based on 
anything that we could possibly do. It's not based on your church attendance. It's not based on uh, how much you put in the offering. It's not based on how many times a year you go to the homeless shelter and serve. It's not based on how good of a person that you are. It's not based on, on any of those things. It's only based on faith alone, belief that Jesus is Savior. And so despite our guilt, we are declared righteous, justified. And to me, that is unbelievable. You've been given an innocence. I've been given an innocence. If you are a believer, you've given your life to Christ, your innocence has been declared before the wrath of God based on nothing that you have done. And so... Justified literally means that God pardons, accepts, and declares sinners to be just on the basis of Christ's righteousness. If it's not based on your righteousness, if it's not based on your obedience to God, then whose obedience is it based on? It's based on the obedience of Christ. And this is another uh, theological term. I didn't know you were coming to school today, but it's, it's this thing called imputed to. It means it has been given to you. It has been exchanged. Uh, Our sin has been exchanged for the righteousness of Christ. That that it it, kind of works this way. It means that that God takes our sins, all past, present, future, and he has put it on Christ on the cross. Christ takes his righteousness, his goodness, and it's given to us, the believer. Or in other words, it's grace. The great exchange. The great exchange, our sin for his mercy, for his grace. And, and to me, like that in and of itself, when we just look at that, if we were to just stop there, we, we, I mean, there is absolutely no way that any of us could look at that and say that the gospel isn't unbelievable. It's kind of hard to believe that, isn't it? If you know yourself, you know what kind of messed up, jacked up person you are. I know what kind of messed up, jacked up person I am, and I look at that, and I see that God has declared me innocent, and I go, really? It's amazing. It's amazing, but it doesn't stop there. That's just part one. And so here's where it gets even crazier. Not only are we declared innocent, even though we know that we are not, we are also adopted as his children. And so not only are we justified, but we are also adopted as his children. Now, um, this has been a few years back, and I've told this story before, but uh, you're just going to have to endure it anyway. Um, I had a, uh, I got a, a speeding ticket uh, a couple of years ago in Oliver Springs, you know, uh, love Oliver Springs. Anyway, so like I got a speeding ticket going through Oliver Springs and my wife, she warned me to slow down and she's like, there's cops out here. I'm like, what are, you know, and just, yeah, it didn't work out for me. So I got a, I got a speeding ticket and like, listen, I, I don't know if you're like me, but if I get pulled over, which doesn't happen often, but if I do get pulled over, like it's usually 
you know, you kind of think you're just going to get a warning, you know, and be like, hey, slow down, buddy, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen here, but that's not what happened. I was in Oliver Springs, okay? And so, like, I got a speeding ticket. And so, with the speeding ticket, I end up, I go to court, and I get to court, and that day at court, the judge, it seemed like, was having, like, a really, really bad day. And so, like, he was just, you know, breaking it down for everybody, you know? He was like, bam, you know, guilty, bam, you know, guilty. And, like, going through this whole thing. And so, I sit there for about an hour just listening to people go and approach the bench and all this stuff and so with me I finally get called to the bench and I go to the bench and I'm standing there before the judge and the judge looks at me and and he decides to have a conversation at this point which was kind of crazy and he says so hey what do you do awesome uh yeah I'm you know and so I I tell him you know I'm I'm a pastor and he's like oh a pastor you know so like oh you know it's not gonna go good for me and and so he's like so uh how do you plead? Because you broke the law. So I'm just, how do you plead? I was like, uh, guilty? He's like, yep, guilty. That's right. You know, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is not good. It's like somebody better call my wife because like she's going to come bail me out of jail or something. Like I'm getting like, this is not going to go good. And, and so he says, he's like, that's right, guilty. He said, now you're a pastor. You should probably understand this. He said, if you are guilty, you know that you broke the law, and you have pleaded guilty, but if I were to look at you and declare you innocent, what would that be? And I was like, grace. (laughs) He's like, and then he pounds the gavel, and he says, now go and sin no more, you are free. And I was like, sweet. You know, it was awesome. It was amazing. And, and he was absolutely right. It, what I had just experienced in that moment was justification. I was guilty, but declared innocent. There was no denying that I'd broken the law. There was no denying that I had sinned. There was no denying that I was guilty, but he declared me innocent as the great judge. Exactly what God does through justification. But here's where it would get even crazier, is if at the moment that he declared me innocent, that he would say, oh, hey, and by the way, why don't you come over tonight and have dinner? That's a little weird, but okay, sure, you know, why not? In fact, in fact, why don't you just why don't you just move into my house? And, and, and in fact, let's not just stop there. I'm going to set you up with the room. I'm going to give you the best room in the house. I'm going to give you the, the best food that we've got in the house. I'll even give you a car. I'm going to give you everything that I have. I'm going to give that to you. You come and live in my house, son. You see, justification and adoption works that way is that not only does god declare us innocent when we are guilty but then he adopts us as his children as his sons and as his daughters if you flip back to romans chapter 8 verse 15 romans 8:15 paul writes this He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And now, real quick, I want to give you four things about God, God's adoption of this. And so if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first thing that we see here is that we are no longer enslaved. 
We are no longer enslaved. And so this means that because God has given us a, a new heart, when he saved us, when he justified us, he has given us a new heart. And so that means that the spirit of slavery, which, which we were once enslaved to, is now crushed. Listen, you are free. You are free. Free from believing that a better version of you will fix what's wrong with you. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago when we said in the first part of this is that, that, that you can't fix you. Somebody else won't be able to fix you. Things of this world cannot fix you. A perverted religion of going down a checklist and saying, I will do this and this and this when God does this. Or if I do all of these things, then God will do these other things. Like none of those things are going to fix you. And so what this says is that because we are adopted, we are set free from those things that enslave us. That you don't have to fall back into that. And instead we can repent and run to the cross. And you see those things, like being adopted, now being a son and a daughter of God means that you can see those things, that you can see those things coming. And so we might be drawn to those things. We might be drawn to allow ourselves to try to fix ourselves or or run to others to fix fix us when, when things break down. But you will see it coming when you understand and realize that you are a son, that you are a daughter of a holy God who says you are no longer enslaved to those things. And so the second thing is this, is that the Spirit will testify to our spirit. That's what it says in verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I I, I love this. This means that the Spirit will testify to our spirit that we are his children. Now, how important is this for believers who fall and scrape their knees from time to time? How important is this for you as a believer when you fall down, when you sin, when you mess things up? How important is this to remember that you are a children or that you are a child of God? That God says, hey, 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 remember, remember this. You are my son. Hey, hey, remember, don't get too down. Listen, you are my daughter. I am yours. You are mine. How important is that? To know that and to remember that. For our Father to come along, pick us up, and dust us off. And so what Paul says here is he's saying that the Spirit will point us toward obedience to God, although it is not perfectly executed. And remind us And testify to us that he is ours and we are his. So the spirit will testify to our spirit. The third thing is this, verse 17. It says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so this means that... As children of God, this is good, this is good stuff, you're going to like this. As children of God, there are benefits to being his child. There are benefits. Um, when I was a student pastor, we had, um, uh, we, we, we had kids over at our place all the time. And it was, uh, it was always fun because 
uh, kids would come in, teenagers would come in, and they would just sort of hang out. And, and really, you know, it, it would be just that thing of, you know, whatever is ours is yours, and if it's in the refrigerator, you can get it. Like, so we would give kids refrigerator rights. Did you, ever, did you ever have a friend that you'd go over to their house and have refrigerator rights? Like you just open the refrigerator, and if there's a Coke in there, you get one out, or you know, you just get something to eat or whatever like that, and, and it wasn't a big deal. Like you didn't feel like you had to sort of hide behind, you know, the closet to eat a chip, you know, you know, like you had refrigerator rights. Listen, as children of God, you have refrigerator rights. Whatever is his is yours. Whatever is his is yours. You are heirs of God because you are his child. And not only do you have that benefit, but you also have the benefit of resurrected bodies. Listen, um, I, a couple of weeks ago, hurt myself sleeping. Anybody else? Anybody else feeling that? If you're over 30, come on. Don't leave me hanging. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's right. Like, you, you will wake up sometimes and just be like, man, I hurt. Like, what did I do? Right? My, my foot hurt. And, and it was like, I, I don't, I, like, I hurt myself sleeping. That junk didn't happen in my 20s. Right? In my, you know, when I was a teenager, that stuff didn't happen. Like, you had to do something on purpose to get hurt. Now I just sleep, and I wake up, and I, and I hurt sometimes, right? And so this whole idea of a resurrected body, I'm in. I'm in, you know? And so, like, I, I look at that, and I get excited about that because I'm like, I'm getting hair. And if I get a choice, it's going to be a fro, and it's going to be red. Curly. If I'm picking, I'm just saying, if I'm picking. But listen, listen, resurrected bodies. Anybody excited about that? I'm excited about that. And so as an heir, as a child of God, one of the benefits of that, of being his children, is that we will have resurrected bodies. First Corinthians says new imperishable bodies. And a third benefit of being an heir, and this is the best, that we get God. We get God. There's nothing better. Nothing will be lacking. There will be nothing lacking in you. There will be nothing that you lack because you will have it because it's His. And He gives it. Fourth and finally, there will be joy when we suffer. 17, the last half of 17 says that provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. And so let's, uh, let's chat for a second. Uh, the call to follow Jesus is a call to suffering. We've talked about this before. The call to follow Jesus is a call to suffering. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that life is lucky charms, right? It is a call to suffering, but the, the beauty of that is that there is joy in the suffering. Flip over real quick, James chapter 1. Went too far. James chapter 1, 2 and 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet 
trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so James is writing here, he's saying, listen, count it as a joy to suffer. Because when you suffer, something is taking place that you and I cannot understand, that you and I will not be able to see, is that there is something going on behind the scenes of God perfecting you, making you steadfast, bringing you along the journey. You are further along the journey, one day closer than you were the day before when you suffer in joy. And notice that he didn't say happiness. Happiness is built around circumstance, and joy doesn't work that way. Happiness is based on our circumstances. So hear me when I say this. The There will be hard days. I know that the hard days are hard, but God is at work in the mess. God is at work in the mess. You ask Wes, who gave his testimony on the video here, God has been at work in the mess. When you see his story, the second part of his story next week, you will see how God has been at work in the mess. Ask Rusty Sampson how God has been at work in the mess. Ask Julie Monday, how God has been at work in the mess. Ask Tara Harvey. Now, Gibson be (laughs) married yesterday. Ask her how God has been at work in the mess. God has been at work in the mess. Ask a recovering addict how God has been at work in the mess. God is at work in the dark nights of the soul. And if we keep our eyes on the inheritance, we will not shake our fist at God when trouble comes. It'll be hard. I know it'll be hard. I've experienced those hard times myself, but I also get to experience the hard times that you experience because right after the police get called, guess who else gets called? Bam, right? I know it's hard. I'm not saying it won't be hard. I'm saying that you won't be left behind because there will be joy. There will be joy. J.I. Packer, writer and theologian, pastor, he, he says this. He says, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, arguably higher than salvation. Adoption is higher because of the relationship it involves with God. Salvation is wonderful, but it does not imply necessarily an intimate relationship. But in adoption, God doesn't just save us, but he takes us into his family as children and heirs. As children and heirs. And then I will close with this. 1 John chapter 3. It says this, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Anybody want to say amen to that? You're not there yet. That's where this idea of sanctification comes into play. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
are not there yet, but because we are His, we're getting there. And because we have been justified and adopted as sons and daughters, we have the ability through His Spirit to deal confidently with the sins that have seemingly defeated us for so long. Because we are His. Because when we fall, our Father picks us up and dusts us off and says, Hey, hey, I got this. Took care of this for you. I got you. So as we close today and pray and, and sing and celebrate just the, the goodness and the greatness of, of God's declaring us innocent through justification and adopting us as his children. If you're a believer, that should be a moment for you to celebrate and to to be thankful. And so your prayer this morning is to simply be thankful. Celebrate that. Celebrate the goodness of God's declaration of innocence over you. If you're not a believer, there's a tough, tough tough chat here for just a second. Listen, if you're you're not a believer, you've never given your life to Christ. Here, here's the, the hard part of the gospel is that, that God is your creator, but he has yet to become your father. He is everyone's creator, but listen, he is not everyone's father until we have been adopted as his children through faith in Jesus by giving our lives to him, turning from our sin and turning to the cross. And if that's you, you're here this morning and that is your moment, this is your moment right now to do just that. To just simply cry out and say, Abba, Father, forgive me of my sin. Rescue me, save me. Listen, I I can't do that for you. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a a prayer or anything like that. I want that prayer to come from your heart, not from my heart. So if that's you as we pray, as we close, let that be your prayer. It doesn't have to be elegant. It doesn't have to be pretty. You don't have to use words that you don't understand. You just say it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for today. We thank you for this moment. We thank you, God, for the gospel and how it pierces down through the walls of our heart, God, that we can build up sometimes in rebellion towards you, God. But the good news is, Father, is that even in our rebellion, you love us. God, through our rebellion, you have saved us. And for those of us who would cry out even now for the first time to say, Abba, Father, God, even in our rebellion there, you save us. So, God, let us celebrate with glad hearts our declaration of innocence. Even though we know, even though you know, we could be held guilty. But we have been justified and adopted as your children. It's in your name we pray.